live from the Godless Tower, this is the Splat Zone. Welcome back to the Splat Zone. We are a monthly video cast slash podcast dedicated to bringing you the best Nintendo related topics. I'm your host, Nice1983. And I'm your co host, Mario After Party. And guys, E3 can be called the mecca of video games. Coming from humble beginnings, way in the back of the Consumer Electronics Show, by 1995, it grew into its own massive, week-long celebration of video games. Nintendo has a long and storied history at E3, from the unveiling of the Virtual Boy at the very first E3 to debuting Amiibo in 2014. Nintendo's presence at E3 has also changed. They have moved away from the flashy stage shows to the pre-taped digital events, and adding Treehouse Live, which is a week-long play session dedicated to showing off games in a more intimate fashion. E3 is a make-it-or-break-it situation for every gaming company. This is where you come to determine whether or not you're going to be financially successful as a platform for at least the next 12 months. And with Nintendo back into a corner, they have made some pretty questionable decisions. In this episode, Mario After Party and I will discuss Nintendo's presence at previous E3s and where they stand here in 2016. But before we do all of that, we got to go ahead and move into the Nintendo News Report. So, a lot of stuff happened this month, but I thought we'd pick something a little bit obscure and very fresh way to start this news topic. Nintendo and Vans have collaborated to bring us some apparel. And there are some kick-ass sneakers in this line loafers moccasins sandals if you put it on your feet they are selling it and these designs are incredible i love the uh the mario high top sneakers those are just some of the sickest pair of kicks i've ever seen i sent you the links uh what two weeks ago those are some bad ass sneakers and it is definitely what Nintendo needs to do to go ahead and cross-promote their brands. You know, back, you know, last month we speculated that Splatoon was the perfect merchandising, you know, extravaganza that Nintendo had on their hands. Clearly, you see I'm rocking the squid shirt, squid cap, little squid buttons. That's right, looking fresh. Everybody knows we got to stay fresh here at the Splat Zones. But still... You know, we thought it was limiting, limited to Splatoon, and now Vans is doing standard NES and Nintendo characters. There's a pair of sneakers that have the NES controller, like, brushed onto them. Uh, the Duck Hunt sneakers with the camouflage, very sick. Very cool way for Nintendo to go ahead and say, hey, we have really popular IP, and now you can rock that gear. So what do you think about that, man? Uh, I think it's great. You know, anytime that uh, they bring any kind of clothing or video game merchandise to the United States, it's great because a lot of times that stuff doesn't make it overseas. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And we are recording this episode June 1st. These sneakers will be out in stores June 3rd. So you already know my, my ass is going to be at the mall when they open 
hitting up the van store and saying, yo, let me get that nine and a half. You know, there's a lot of things uh, coming out in uh, the upcoming month, June or July, because we got those uh, Cali and Marie Amiibos, right? But that's July, right? That's July. That's July, man. I, like, my, my heart aches for those Amiibos. And then for all the Splatoon fans, we got uh, Sheldon's Picks Part 2 coming out on June 7th, which I'm really looking forward to because they finally came out with the new Aerospray and they finally came out with the new Enzap, which, you know, all the new weapons they've released, they have never guns in that series. So I'm looking forward to Sheldon's Picks Part 2. Yeah, man. So much cool Splatoon stuff coming out. And, guys, since we're on the apparel talk, Hot Topic is carrying... Splatoon gear for both men and women. So go ahead. You can pick up your little squish shirt like I did today. And you can just go ahead and stay fresh with us. You ain't getting this ball cap, though. You got to go to Nintendo New York to get this. Sorry, guys. That being said, one more thing. Just want to keep it on the apparel. Ladies, I know you lovely ladies listen to the show. Target has Splatoon PJs coming out just for you. So all my little video game nerd girls, go ahead. Get your sexy on with some squids. All right, moving on to story number two. This one, this one actually tripped me out. I didn't expect there to be any kind of backlash with this. Um, back in February, uh, Nintendo gave us the news that they were going to have nine total languages for Pokemon Sun and Moon, which is a lot. But apparently in Hong Kong, there is protest going on about how the, uh, the localization for, for this version of Pokemon will be different from previous iterations. The previous iterations translated uh, into local chi Chinese dialects, uh, which probably was a nightmare for the localization team. I don't know how many different dialects there are of Chinese. Um, probably way too many you know, for one game. Uh, so they're moving on to the simplified Chinese and, you know, they're protesting. They don't want this. I mean, they've been playing their Pokemon games the way they've been playing them and they want things to stay the same. Um, apparently it's because there has something to do with the, because the dialects are so different between regions that what it does is there are little local things to each region that will get lost in the simplified Chinese version of the translation. So yeah, people aren't happy. They're protesting. And I kind of don't blame them. You know, if, you know, if I spoke more fluent Spanish and then you told me you were going to go with the more traditional uh, Spain Spanish, which is more honorific and doesn't have like, you know, we, we don't say things the same way in the Puerto Rican Spanish that we do that they do in the Spanish Spanish, you know, the Spaniard Spanish. So if, if I was playing that game in full Spanish, I would feel not burned, but I would feel a little, I wouldn't be happy because their things just wouldn't match up the way that I would expect them to. Well, I think because it's Hong Kong that's protesting and uh, Hong Kong already feels like China is taking things away from them one by one. So they don't want to lose, you know, their, um, localization for a Pokemon game, even though it's not China's fault, but back in 2014, Hong Kong had some um, serious violent protests against China um, because they were holding an election and uh, 
China was allowing them to have an election, but they were picking the candidates for that election. So it wasn't truly democratic. So, the you know, um, the fact that, like, um, Hong Kong is going to have to just have a game and simplify Chinese, I kind of get it, the tensions between, you know, the mainland and Hong Kong, but really I think it has more to do with uh, their relationship with China than, than the fact that it's just simplified Chinese. Couldn't tell you. Honestly, I couldn't tell you. You know, like I said, maybe it's because, you know, I do, you know, have a Spanish-speaking background and knowing how different Span, Span, Spaniard from Spain, Spanish is from, you know, the way, the dialect that we speak in Puerto Rico, completely different, completely different. Like when I talk to a Spaniard in Spanish, I have no idea what they're saying. They also talk really fast, really, really, really fast. Well, and you know this this kind of moves into our our next you know subject. What are we playing this month? But I will say that that's true with the localization. Just because I know in Xeno in Xenoblade Chronicles um, for the uh, Wii or the 3DS, you know the localization team was British English. All the the voice actors were um, British. So when I was playing through that game, it was it's still an enjoyable game and it's an awesome RPG. If you haven't played it yet. But for me, it is kind of weird listening to all the voice actors, um, you know, be British. Whereas Xenoblade Chronicles X, which is what I'm playing right now, um, when they did the localization for that voice actors, and you don't hear, um, you know, a, a lot of British voice acting in that game because they, the localization was was for American English. And so it makes a big difference as far as, you know, how I... Uh, perceive the game or just relate to the characters in the game because not that I have anything against playing through a game with that is a, a British localization but I do prefer an American localization so you know and and lately I've been uh, going back and forth between pocket tournament and Xenoblade Chronicles X for the, the games that I'm playing this month yeah you know Xenoblade Chronicles actually caught some flack for its all British voice cast so you know, you're not the only person who thought that. Um, what I'm playing right now, I'm, you know, I've been way deep into Splatoon again. Like, too too deep. I need to pull back. But I've been playing that game religiously for the last couple nights. Uh, I also uh, recently played uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutants in Manhattan. Not a great game. Not a horrible game. Not a great game it's just okay i had i know the reviewers like crucified the game gave it a 4.9 uh definitely not that low of a game it does have its repetitive moments uh voice acting is great character design is great story is kind of your typical comic book story but it, it was it was worth 40 dollars. i probably wouldn't have paid any more than that so i'm glad i picked up the ps3 version and not the ps4 version uh, and I've been playing a little bit of Pokemon, uh, getting ready for CES next, uh, well, this month. So, looking forward to attending that tournament in Orlando. So, I've been getting my practice on, giving myself bloody thumbs. You already know. Well, uh, guys, no new Amiibo have come out since, you know, the last wave. So, no Amiibo acquisitions. We do know that Callie and Marie are coming out. 
Super excited. And your Puerto Rican squid boy. Sorry, he's just brown, but I'm calling him Puerto Rican squid boy. And your orange squidling. Uh, love, love the Cali Marie designs, by the way. I love their little glitter dresses. Love their poses. Love the ink, you know, shooting off of the base. They look really good. Uh, don't know what they do yet. A lot of people have assumed that they're going to add additional music to the game. If that's all they do, I'm... Yes, please. Because Splatoon has one of the best video game soundtracks of all time. Of all time. So, yes, please, more songs. Definitely, yeah. So... We have a little funny story to tell before we get into our topic of the month. You know, Mario After Partner and myself, we kind of work these episodes, we write these episodes in advance to an extent. You know, we usually have about anywhere between three to five months of topics in advance that we're going to talk about. Um, for this one, I had originally envisioned us doing a pre-E3 speculation episode where we would go ahead and determine, you know, guess which games Nintendo would unveil at E3. Uh, Nintendo killed that dream very early last month when they said Zelda would be the only playable game at E3. Uh, first off, that made my heart sink. And I was thinking, no, okay, they, they, okay, they were very specific in the words. They said the only playable game at E3. So maybe they'll have like some demo reels. They'll have some stuff. They'll have something else there. We'll see... Uh, a digital presentation like we saw the last couple of years. No digital presentation has been announced, and E3 is like two weeks away. Uh, they would have announced something by now if they were going to show anything more. So I think all we're getting at E3 is just Zelda. Oh, uh, and the Treehouse Live, which they started back in 2014, will be taking the spot of when Nintendo usually posts the, the digital event or previously when they had their press conferences. So we're not going to see anything new. So that kind of killed the dream for a pre-E3 speculation episode. So what we decided to bring you was Nintendo and its history at E3 and things that they have unveiled and to see how the company has changed the way that they view E3. So I'm excited about this. You know, I was able, you know we were able to save this E3 episode and my after party, you excited for this, bro? Yeah, I didn't have any guesses anyway for what they were going to bring to E3, but... Okay, I, 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 I did have one guess. I had one guess that I just want to throw out there because it needs to happen. I want an MMA-styled punch-out game. And I think the UFC should get behind it or at least Ronda Rousey, and have Ronda Rousey's Punch-Out. <laughs> wow. I'm not a big fan of Ronda Rousey, but still, she she's a commercial success. You know, she's in movies, she's in commercials, she's everywhere. So Ronda Rousey's Punch-Out, do it like the old-school Mike Tyson days. At least you know Ronda Rousey ain't pushing nobody down a flight of stairs. Well, maybe it should be Ronda Rousey's Tap-Out, because she submits people. She doesn't really knock them out. That's true, that is true. But still, because Punch-Out is kind of like a puzzle game anyway, it's, not, it's like a puzzle game disguised as a boxing game. I think you could totally pull off that same effect with MMA, especially with the grappling. You know, he's going to turn this way, so you have to shift this way. You know, make it a puzzle game. 
Totally want that game to happen. Nintendo, please tell me you're listening to me right now. MMA Punch Out featuring Ronda Rousey. Make it happen. Not Conor McGregor, Ronda Rousey, or John Jones. Not Daniel Cormier. All right. So, going, moving on. The first E3 was held in 1995. A little backstory is that E3 didn't exist until that time because they were part, you know, video games and the way they presented them was part of the overall uh, consumer electronics show, which happens annually now. It used to happen twice a year in the 90s. There was one in the summer, one in the winter. Now there's just one for the whole year. Um, and that's where they unveil all the cool stuff that you want to buy. Uh, Apple used to go there. They don't go there now. They have their own keynotes. Uh, Microsoft typically goes. Uh, you see a lot of cool stuff. A lot of like indie startup companies trying to show off. You know, they unveil their products there. CES very important to the consumer electronics, uh, to, you know, world. That being said, E3 was the video game you know developers saying we want our own thing. We don't want to be in the basement. We don't want to be in the back. Uh, Tom Kalinske, who I had the pleasure of interviewing last month, uh, quote, was quoted as saying, you had to walk through the porno booths just to get to the video game section of CES. So picture that. You got to walk through porn to see video games. It's no wonder why politicians think that video games are corrupting because you had to walk through porn to get to it. That being said, uh, Nintendo's first E3 kind of lackluster um at that e3 they announced that the virtual boy would be coming out that that holiday season uh i think we can all attest to the failure of the virtual boy a cool concept but it seems like it was what it's 2016 now so it was 21 years ahead of its time for the consumer market VR is becoming popular now. Nintendo kind of spearheaded that and killed it all with one fell swoop. Um, they actually kind of they did that in response to the fact that they were delaying the Ultra 64, which would become the Nintendo 64. So they just needed a console because the PlayStation was on the horizon, and so was the Sega Saturn. And Nintendo had just spent the last five years battling with Sega very viciously in the 16-bit era. Uh, you have anything to say about the Virtual Boy at all? No, um, I mean it was. It's interesting now, like twenty years later, that uh, virtual reality is starting to become popular again. Uh, but it's you know we have the technology today to make it enjoyable, and it just wasn't around back then. So, unfortunately, Nintendo failed. I have two VR devices. Uh, for different types of experience. I have the Samsung gear and then I have a rinky dink like plastic shell that plays cardboard apps. Very cool. Uh, it just goes to show you how powerful a system actually needs to be to really do VR. And ultimately Nintendo just wasn't really willing to give a console that kind of power. So moving on to 1996, we have the first major console reveal at E3. They brought out the Nintendo 64, which is, you know, one of the best 
gaming systems Nintendo has put out. Uh, I know a lot of people disagree with me, but I think the library for that, that system speaks for itself, man. You got Star Fox 64, Mario Kart 64, Ocarina of Time, uh, GoldenEye. Some really good games on that system, but yet they unveiled it there. And they brought some nice games. They brought some nice games to that to that E3. Super Mario 64, which was at the time revolutionary for the Marvel. I'm sorry for the Mario franchise because we had only seen Mario running around left and right. Now we're getting Mario in full polygonal 3D with beautiful shading, nice textures, and the world was really pretty. In hindsight, it's kind of an ugly Mario game, but at the time, that was pretty revolutionary. But Yeah, that was at a time when Nintendo was leading the industry as far as um, the technology was concerned. Their systems had the best hardware. They had the most updated specs. Graphically, it looked great. And for its, you know, that Nintendo was still pushing the the limits of what a console could be in those days. Whereas today, when you when you think about which companies are, you know, doing the most to create the best technology, you think more about Sony and Microsoft. Yeah, yeah, and, and to go back, you know. Nintendo caught a lot of flack for the 64 because ultimately they didn't move from cartridges. They stayed on, you know, they stayed with cartridges when Sega and and Sony were coming out with disc-based systems. That being said, the 64 is more powerful than the PS1. Uh, the PS1 runs at like 32-bit. They just, you know, the disc formatting allowed for way more space and, you know, I'm really hard-pressed to find a game that looks better on the PS1 than, than on the 64. But that being said, because it was so much easier to develop on discs, and you could have things like uh, full soundtrack recordings on those, ultimately it gave the PS1 a giant push. Uh, 1997 was a good year if you like tech demos. If you like tech demos, 1997 was your year. You got two big ones. The Ocarina of Time and F-Zero X. I'm, okay, I'm kind of not a huge fan of the F-Zero series. I, I see the, I see the appeal behind it, but I'm more of a Mario Kart racer. But man, seeing Ocarina of Time, I, did, I remember seeing the screenshots for it in a GamePro. Uh, guys, if you don't know what GamePro is, you got to hit up some Wikipedia because GamePro was my jam back in the day. We're old. We're old. We're old. There used to be these things called video game magazines. What is magazine? Can I read it on tablet? Yeah, physical copies of these magazines, not digital copies. What does physical mean? <laughs> no, but uh, I remember seeing the screenshots in GamePro, I mean, and, you know, GamePro didn't always have the best screenshots, and that game still looked freaking beautiful. Uh, and then that year, we also saw Banjo-Kazooie for the first time, which is one of Rare's greatest games. You know, if you follow Rare, Rare gave us Battletoads. Not really, but really. 
uh, they gave us the Donkey Kong Country series, which I love, by the way, because if you think about the Donkey Kong Country series, it's amazing that the, the designs that Rare came up with really stood the test of time. Like, Donkey Kong hasn't changed his appearance since uh, Donkey Kong Country. He, they kept him relatively in line with how he looks in that game, and I think that's a testament to how uh, timeless that Rare's Donkey Kong is. And I have some great memories playing Rare games. And Banjo-Kazooie is kind of like the natural extension of that. It's like Donkey Kong Country meets Mario 64. You got your two protagonists. You got Banjo, you know, the bear, the grizzly. You have Kazooie, the bird. I don't know what kind of bird it is. But that was one of my favorite 64 games. Really, really good. Uh, sequel, not so much, but really good. Moving on to 1998, this was probably the biggest E3 for Nintendo up to this point. We got some console reveals. The Game Boy Color, the Game Boy Color took us, you know, the Game Boy came out in 1989. We didn't get a color Game Boy until 1998. Nine years with no color. The Game Gear was doing it in 1991. That being said, Game Gear had horrible battery life. Yes, it did. Yeah, but we got color with no backlit screen. Oh, no, I had I had a Game Gear. I mean, it was a great um, system. No, I'm talking was... the Game Boy Color had no backlit screen. It, it had color, but they didn't backlight the screen. So it really muted those colors. Yeah, <laughs> but because of... Pokemon, which was revealed at E3 1998, keep it alive. Yes, sir. Also, you know, to stay with the console reveals, they revealed the Game Boy printer and the Game Boy camera. By the way, Game Boy camera was the smallest digital camera you could get in 1998. Smallest digital camera you could get in 1998. Probably not if you consider the fact that you were plugging it into the Game Boy brick if you had the original version. But if you had the Game Boy Pocket version, I guess you were solid. Uh, and that year, they revealed the Pocket Pikachu, which is the uh, the Pikachu digital pit. It basically had a little uh, accelerometer on it, and it tracked your steps. You played with your Pikachu. You fed your Pikachu. Not as interactive as a Tamagotchi, but it did have like uh, the benefit of connecting to the uh, Pokemon games uh, through uh, infrared tech. Uh, that was featured on the Game Boy Color and was featured on the Pocket Pikachu device. I had one of those. Uh, so we also had some game reveals. We had 12 Tales, Conquer 64. Uh, Conquer was a little spinoff. We saw him in Diddy Kong Racing. This game was actually the precursor to Conquer's Bad Fur Day. Uh, they got, you know, another rare game. And people hated it. It was too cutesy. It was too much for kids. And Rare got a lot of poor feedback on this 12 Tales Conquer game. Eventually, it became Conquer's Bad Fur Day, which is like the first M-rated game to appear on the 64. And that game is... I mean, by today's standard, that game isn't so bad. But back then, that game was really, really bad. Uh, we got F1 Grand Prix, uh, F-Zero X 
unveiled for officially no more tech demo. Cruising World, which was the sequel to Cruising USA, which is one of my favorite arcade racers. And like Mario After Party said, Pokemon Red and Pokemon Blue were unveiled at E3 1998, which is where the phenomenon begins. But they didn't just reveal the games. They went a step further. After Party, do you know that at E3 1998, they unveiled the Pokemon anime as a way to help promote and push Pokemon Red and Blue into the phenomenon that it is now. Yes, I do. So, big year, 1998. 1999, we didn't get a console reveal. We got a codename. We got a dolphin. Uh... Codename Dolphin, which would ultimately go on to become the Nintendo GameCube. Uh, we also got some weird games that year. Resident Evil, uh, Star Wars Episode One Racer, horrible game. Anybody who swears that game is good, you're liars. Conker's, Bad, uh, Conker's Pocket Tales, which was the first actual introduction to Conker's in his own solo debut. Donkey Kong 64. This is a game that split people, man. People either love Donkey Kong 64 or they hate it. Uh, did you ever play this one? No, I never got a chance because I uh, I never owned a 64. Ah, oh, you were a PS1 kid, weren't you? Yep, for a while, I, you know, I stuck with Sony. Um, I had a PS1 and a PS2. I really didn't... You know, my sister had a GameCube, so I did get to play a lot of GameCube games, but I didn't really own, you know, from the Super Nintendo... Um, onwards, I didn't really own a, a system or a Nintendo console until the Wii came out. Then I, I had a Wii, but you know, I, I did not have a 64 or a GameCube. Guess we're moving into 1999. I mean, well, continuing with 1999, there were, like I said, this was a game year. This was a game year. Excitebike 64, uh, which, you know, sequel to Excitebike, uh, not one of my favorite games. Jet Force Gemini, which I've actually never played, but I hear great things about Jet Force Gemini. Mario Golf. Mario's first foray into uh, sports games. Mario Golf. This game had a lot of charm. I actually enjoyed Mario Golf, and I don't like golf games. Not, I never played a Tiger Woods game. Never you know, played any of the other PGA Tour games. You know, they, they don't appeal to me. Mario Golf was charming and kind of fun. Perfect Dark, which is like the pseudo-sequel to GoldenEye because they lost the rights to make uh, James Bond's games. One of my favorite games of all time announced at uh, this E3, Pokemon Snap, man. Which is like our first official Pokemon spinoff game. This was a great game, man. I loved uh, taking pictures of all the Pokemon. I really did. We also got Pokemon Stadium, Pokemon Yellow, which was designed to bring us a version of the Pokemon game that was more in line with the anime. So you actually play as Ash in this game. Similar to the anime, you get all three starters, but you start initially with Pikachu, and he refuses to go into his Pokeball, and he follows you around the game as long as you have him in the party. And uh, if you put him away in the Pokebox, he gets mad at you when you take him back out. Uh, this also introduced us to Surfing Pikachu, which we totally need to get that Pokemon back. We totally need... A Pikachu that knows the move Surf. 
StarCraft 64 was out that year, and one of the most popular Nintendo franchises of all time debuted at E3 1999. Super Smash Bros. There are so many good things to say about that first game. I mean, by today's standards, it's slow, it's kind of ugly, but man, I poured hours into that first game playing with my brother, all my, all my friends, the neighbors. Man, anybody who would challenge would get, would get got at Super Smash Bros. 64. One of my favorite games of all time. I can't say enough good things about that game, man. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a big year for Nintendo. And, you know, really almost every E3 that Nintendo has revealed something for, they, there have been iconic games um, and consoles throughout the years. And, and you can look at almost every E3 and see something in there that is, uh, you know, just a classic game. Yeah, man. Like, again, this is why we're doing this episode, guys. Nintendo has a long storied history of E3. Sometimes it's really good. Sometimes it's really bad. But, like, Nintendo's presence at E3 has been, you know... It Mostly really good. Yeah, I agree. I mean... There, there are very many years where it was where it was bad. Like, they're... The majority of the time they showed up, they they knocked it out the park. Yeah, and, and you know we're gonna go on and we're gonna give you our thoughts a little bit more about this year's E3 and how we feel about it in direct comparison to these previous E3s. Um, but that being said, man, Mario After Party is one hundred percent right. More often than not, Nintendo got it right more than they got it wrong. Uh, Two thousand one, we got the unveiling of the GameCube. The GameCube, literally, up until that point, the best console since the Super NES. Uh, so many good games on the GameCube. So many good games. Oh, I'm sorry. Did we skip 2000? Man, we jumped ahead. My bad, guys. Skipped a year. 2000, nothing revealed console-wise, but we got Banjo-Tooie, The Legend of Zelda, Majora's Mask, my favorite, Conker's Bad Fur Day, which is officially the last game to be released on the N64. We got Paper Mario that year. Mario Tennis. Pokemon Gold and Silver were revealed that year. The sequels to an excellent franchise. Mario After Party and mine, favorite Pokemon game, I believe, right? That is correct. Uh, yeah, that's the one that added all the, uh, all the features that would go on to become part of the uh, overall meta. Like breeding, day and night, evolutions, uh, special effects, all those things come from uh, Pokemon Gold and Silver. Very good games. <clears throat> now, moving on to 2001, the GameCube. Again, up until this point, this has been Nintendo's best console since the Super NES. A lot of great, exclusive Nintendo games on the GameCube. Uh, and at this E3, we got a few really good games that I think have a few, there are a few games here that have stood the test of time. Uh, Pikmin. The first uh, Pikmin game was unveiled at this E3, and that has gone on to be 
one of Nintendo's core franchises. Not as popular as Mario or Star Fox or even Zelda, but the Pikmin franchise has, you know, it's got a very good, strong fan base. You know, they love the little Pikmin and they love Olimar. Luigi's Mansion. Luigi's Mansion was debuted at this E3. Oh, and guys, I gotta go back. I gotta go back to the what are we playing? Because this weekend, or this this past weekend, I was at Dave and Buster's, and I got to play the Luigi's Mansion arcade, which was so much freaking fun. If there's a Dave and Buster's in your region, go play the Luigi's Mansion arcade. Also got to play Monotonic Sonic at the Olympics 2016 Rio. Also fun, and I actually broke a sweat playing that game. But yes, Luigi's Mansion was revealed for the GameCube. Uh, Wave Race, Blue Storm, and unequivocally the most popular Smash Brothers game unveiled at E3 2001. Smash Bros. Melee. Uh, I don't think we have to say too much about Smash Bros. Melee, man. Uh, thank you. Nope, it's still, it's still being played competitively today, so that says a lot, considering it's been out for 15 years. Yeah, that, that game is literally still still competitively viable despite the fact that two more iterations of the smash brothers franchise have come out three if you include the ds uh 2002 uh miyamoto walks through the crowd and he's playing super mario sunshine for the first time ever he's doing it on an accessory that they unveiled the wave bird nintendo's first wireless controller since the nes uh, man, I had a Wavebird, and I loved it. I wish I still had it, because it was literally one of the best controllers Nintendo has ever put out. Uh, we also get Zelda Four Swords, Metroid Fusion for the Game Boy uh, Color, Star Fox Adventure, which is a another rare game, and probably can be the point where Star Fox games started to get weird. I think we can pinpoint it to this game. It initially started off as a different game. It was uh, called Dinosaur Planet. Uh, Shigeru Miyamoto saw it and said, hey, let's throw Star Fox in there. Rare obliged, and we get one of the weirdest Star Fox games of all time. But the most controversial game Nintendo revealed at this E3 was The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker. Man, do you remember the controversy about the way the game looked? I do. I feel like everybody was pissed off. Some people, but you know, there's a lot of fans that didn't want to see a, a cartoony version of Zelda, especially since you know you you had um, like Ocarina of Time and uh, Majora's Mask, which were more realistic versions of the game that came out previously. So, yeah. That being said, um, the Wind Waker is surprisingly like, the most violent Zelda game. Uh, and you kind of lose that when you, when you, just due to the visuals. It's so cute and cartoony that you lose the fact that Link stabs Ganon through the head with the Master Sword. Uh, you also got, at least in America, we got to see Animal Crossing for the first time. Uh, very big game for Nintendo. The franchise is still running strong. Uh, it's one. Of, it's like in the million dollar club for them. They they sell a lot of Animal Crossing games. Uh, 
I got to tell you guys, this Animal Crossing game is actually a port from a 64 game that never came out to the U.S., so, but it did come out for the GameCube. And we get Metroid Prime, which was a huge revitalization for the Metroid series. E3 2003, a lot of people would consider this to be Nintendo's slump, very big slump. Uh, every game revealed at this E3 was actually revealed in advance in other separate events and news articles through these video game magazines that Mario After Party told us about. Still not sure I believe him with physical print. It seems like something that uh, Moses used. It's, it's probably in a museum somewhere, I'm sure. Do they need to be preserved? Not really. <laughs> Is this like the Shroud of Turin, where we have to keep it in an airtight case? No, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> All right, E3 2003. The only new game unveiled at this was uh, Pac-Man Versus. Uh, actually, one of the better Pac-Man games. But they did show off some other games that were previously there. Mario Kart Double Dash, which is the best Mario Kart game outside of Mario Kart 8. I, I stand by that. I stand by that. I want, the dual I want the two racers mechanic to come back. Screw anyone who disagrees with me, okay? Stand by. You know, the Pac-Man versus, like, it feels like it's an incomplete name. Pac-Man versus what? Other Pac-Man. I don't know. It, it, it felt like an incomplete year for Nintendo, and the only game that was revealed that was new felt like it had an incomplete title. But that You know, that being said, the games that actually were shown, even though they were previously shown, they're all, like, really good games. Pikmin 2, Mario Luigi Superstar Saga, which is a great successor to Mario RPG, uh... Metal Gear Solid, The Twin Snakes, Beautiful Joe. Beautiful Joe was like one of the best GameCube games. I mean, it's also out on the PS2 at the time, but Beautiful Joe was an amazing game. Resident Evil 4 was exclusive to the GameCube for years. Resident Evil 4, which is the best Resident Evil game. And by the way, it's better on the Wii than it is on the GameCube, but Resident Evil 4 was unveiled, or what, you know, was. A great game shown at this E3. Uh, moving on to E3 2004 after party. What did they bring to E3 2004? They brought the DS. The greatest Nintendo handheld console. The natural evolution of the Game Boy unveiled at E3 2004. Dude, I was a launch DS guy. I loved my DS fat. You know, the DS Lite, I loved it too. But there was just something about the ugliness of the DS, the original DS. It was gray. It was blocky. It was huge. But man, was that a great thing to experience for the first time. I really did love my DS. And we got some games that year too, man. Twilight Princess, 
was the last game they actually unveiled on stage. I love the way they did that. They had like the drums, the drummers playing the theme from Conan the Barbarian. And then they had this great footage for Twilight Princess, which is one of the darkest Zelda games. And definitely what the fans wanted after Wind Waker. We, they wanted a darker, more adult Legend of Zelda game. And they got it with Twilight Princess. We also got the Legend of Zelda The Minish Cap, which continues in the Wind Waker style. Uh, Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories, the first Kingdom Hearts spinoff game. Now there's like a thousand Kingdom Hearts spinoff games. And if you don't play them all, you don't get the full story. Come on, Square. Just give us Kingdom Hearts 3 and let's move on with our lives. Uh, Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. Now this was a cool game. Uh, and again... Goes to, goes to show how differently Nintendo was thinking about games at this time. This game has you remove con traditional controllers and you played a pair of bongo drums with a little microphone in the center and you had a, you know, if you wanted to make Donkey Kong go left, you had a beat, you had to hit the left drum. You want to make him go right, you got to hit the right drum. You want him to clap, you clap and... The clap sends shockwaves killing enemies. Uh, then you have to punch bosses in rapid succession. So you're like banging the bongo drum. One of my favorite Donkey Kong games. And it was actually made by the team that would go on to make Mario Galaxy. Uh, first Donkey Kong game not made by Rare uh, in that style. Because they kept the Rare style for Donkey Kong, but removed... You know, you know, Rare had been sold to Microsoft at this point in time, and you know the you know the Mario team picked up this game. Uh, very good game, man. I, I don't have a lot of bad things to say about the game. Uh, Metroid Prime Hunters will avail for the DS, Super Mario 64 DS, Steel Diver, and WarioWare, all for the DS. Some really good games. E3 2005, not a big year as far as what they were showing, but they did show us, you know, I mean, we did get a code name, The Revolution. Uh, they said they were going to revolutionize the way we play games, therefore, code name Revolution. This was the Wii, guys. This is the first hearings of the Nintendo Wii. And we got the Game Boy Micro, which was a miniature, miniature Game Boy Advance uh, that had interchangeable faceplates. Uh, Kind of a flop. DS was kicking everything's ass at the time. Nintendo couldn't even compete with their own handheld. The DS was so good. Uh, got some good games that year. Mario After Party. I know what your favorite game for E3 2004 was. So go ahead and let the world know. You mean 2005? 2005, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, Mario Kart DS, which, you know... Even though Mario Kart 8 comes close, I, I, Mario Kart DS is my favorite iteration of the Mario Kart series. Such a good game. Let's talk about what this game brought us. This is the brought online play, which was really important. Online gameplay for Mario Kart. The Wii did not do it first, guys. The DS game did. And it did it really good. I played this game with you for hours, and you were living in London. Yeah, it was a pretty 
uh, stable connection. It did it really well. Um, and, you know, it was awesome. So, and it had a battle mode, which, hey, Mario Kart 8, I don't know why, you know, they couldn't put one, like, a, a real battle mode in for that one. But the battle mode in the DS version was also um, one of my favorites, one of my favorite parts of that game. Honestly, man, I kept hoping and praying that DLC for Mario Kart 8 would give us a traditional battle mode, and then it just never happened. And a piece of me died. Yeah, I don't know. That's, but like like you said, um, with the Nintendo Revolution, in the following year, two thousand six, they revealed that is actually the Nintendo Wii. Yes, they showed it for the first time too. Uh, they showed us a rough concept, but it was extraordinarily similar to what it actually did end up looking like. Uh, and, well, no, no. I'm sorry. That was in 2005. In 2006, they showed us the actual Wii. You're 100% correct. And uh, we got to see the Wiimotes for the first time. Very interesting way to play, right? Yeah. The, the motion controls definitely took the industry by storm. Yeah, they truly did. And it's, you know, even though the Wii was not the most powerful console of that generation... Man, it was kicking everyone's ass, man. Like, first, stores couldn't keep it in stock. I waited outside of a circuit city, which doesn't exist anymore, an entire night in the cold rain waiting to get a Wii. It got, I'm telling you, it was so cold that my brother got frostbite. And we live in Florida. Imagine getting frostbite in Florida. I was going in Tampa, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he got like a mild case of frostbite. Uh, it was, you know, nothing horrible. You know, he, he still has feeling in his toes and whatnot, but he got a mild case of frostbite. We had to take him to the hospital. Uh, but man. It was worth it. Say that again? It was worth it. No, totally worth it. Totally worth it. <laughs> Look at the games, man, that they unveiled for the Wii. Wii Sports. The pack-in title. The reason everybody wanted a Wii. Wii Sports completely revolutionized gaming. Because all of a sudden, you had adults playing. You had children playing. You had teenagers playing. You even had people in old folks' home wanting to play the Wii. They were using it for exercise because it was working. Everybody was getting up to play Wii Sports. Everybody wanted a piece of Wii Sports. Uh, my favorite was bowling. Uh, bowling, I almost wrote a perfect game, but I love bowling. I actually like boxing a lot too, and tennis was great. Uh, we also got for the uh, Wii Twilight Princess. Now I know we said Twilight Princess was unveiled in two thousand five. Twilight Princess got delayed so that it could come out as a launch title for the Wii. And the, I, I think what's telling here is that the Wii version actually came out a month before the GameCube version, even though the game was completely began its development life as a GameCube game, it got pushed. The GameCube version got pushed to the side for the Wii version. That's how important the Wii was for Nintendo and their future, in their opinions. They thought 
that they needed to unveil a Zelda game right off the bat. We also got to see Star Fox Command for the DS, Legend of Zelda Phantom Hourglass for the DS, Wireware Smooth Moves. Uh, they didn't show. They showed Smash Bros. Brawl for the first time, and we got to see the final chapter in the Metroid Prime uh, trilogy, Metroid Prime Three, two thousand six. Definitely a strong year for Nintendo. Might be the best E three since nineteen ninety eight. Uh. That being said, this is the first actual E3 that press conference for Nintendo that I watched live for the first time. So, watching this for the first time, watching that stage show, watching them unveil all these cool things on the stage, I really had this jealousy inside me. It's like, oh man, I wish I could be there. E3 2007, a little bit of a smaller year, but Nintendo, they were winning. They were winning the console wars, and they outright just said it in their E3 2007 presser. Reggie comes out on stage. He's like, my name is Reggie. I am happy. Goes on to explain how the DS is kicking the PSP's ass. Goes on to say that the Wii has become an overnight success. And they unveiled some peripherals for the Wii. Man, Wii peripherals are some of the worst peripherals in my opinion, though. All peripherals for the Wii are pretty much just plastic shells for the controller, the Wiimote. But we got the Wii Zapper, uh, which was a plastic shell. You put the Wiimote and the nunchuck in, and you had like a makeshift gun, the name very reminiscent of the original Zapper for the NES. We got to see the Wii Wheel for the first time. The Wii Wheel. And... It was, it was unveiled with a game that Mario and After, Mario After Party and I literally got into a physical fight over. We literally fought and wrestled around the house because of this game. Mario Kart Wii. Actually, funny, funny side note story. Mario After Party was living in London for a little while. And uh, we were playing Mario Kart. And he would always do really bad. I'm like, dude, why, why are you always coming in like last? He's like, it's this damn wheel. I can't use it. I was like, why don't you just use the Wiimote and Nunchuck? Greatest Mario after party response ever. You can do that? Just a funny moment in time. I, I cracked up. Funnily enough, we were actually using our DSs as phones, too, while we played Mario Kart. I don't even remember that. I remember it very vividly because I got a good laugh out of it. Whenever you make me laugh real hard, I tend to never forget it. Mm-hmm. Then promptly, Mario After Party got really good at Mario Kart. <laughs> like, it was almost an immediate transition. He's like, horrible. And then out of nowhere, he's playing... Phenomenal. I'm like, okay, I have to cheat to beat him. Bananas! Bananas all over the bridges. So, from 2008 through 2010, Nintendo continued to stay on course, releasing um, many quality games, uh, such as Smash Bros. Brawl, which, although it was uh, the most criticized game in the Smash series, was still a good game. Super Mario Galaxy 2 in 2009, and then also... Um, Kid Icarus Uprising 
in 2010. What was important about 2010 was that they also revealed to us the 3DS, which was the next step in the progression of Nintendo's handheld series. Completely agree, man. The 3DS, going into its fifth year, I feel weird about the 3DS, man. Like, if the DS was an unequivocal success, the 3DS had, like, nothing but roadblocks at the beginning. But very important. It, you know, it started off as a flop, and everyone in the industry pretty much already you know, condemned it to being a failure and it ended up turning around into a hugely successful uh, system and it's still successful and it's one of the bright spots as far as Nintendo's concerned for, you know, releasing new uh, software since we all know the, the Wii U is not going to be getting much more until the NX comes out. Very true, very true. All right, moving on to 2011. We gotta preface this by saying in 2011, Nintendo unveiled Nintendo Directs for the first time. And what, what Nintendo Direct essentially does is that <clears throat> they give you mini E3s, sometimes even longer than their stage shows, running at like 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, and what they do is they show you new games new features, and uh, new con- just overall new content that Nintendo's releasing. Uh, and they do it yes. in this very good way of presenting it directly to the consumer. Well, and this is important because 2011 is probably the most, one of the most pivotal years because it starts to change um, and Nintendo's reliance on E3 to put out information for their games now is is not as important because they can release the games or the information about their games and their consoles whenever they want. They don't have to wait till E3. You know, they can do it when they're ready to do it, whether it's, you know, before or after. And so the Nintendo Direct presentations um, are a big step in Nintendo taking control of how they put their, their information out to the industry. You're 100% correct. And to even further that point, moving on to 2012, Nintendo had an E3 stage show. They had a stage show. But moment of note, something significant was that they did not talk about the Wii U console at all during the stage show. They were silent. They only spoke about the games that were coming out for the Wii U. They didn't speak about what the console could do. We didn't talk about the controller at all. Not during the stage show. Two days before E3, on a Sunday, they had a Nintendo Direct, and that Direct was where they gave you all the information about the console. They told you every detail about the controller, what the controller was capable of. Uh, They told you that the controller can make phone calls or, or Skype, uh, Skype calling or whatever it is, the Wii, the Wii channel for that, uh, Miiverse, all this stuff unveiled two days before E3. And Mario After Party is right. The way that Nintendo could present their content significantly shifted with the advent of the Nintendo Directs because 
if they would have done this on a stage show, Nintendo stage show would have been two hours long if they had to break down every detail about the controller the way they did in the direct. And they opted out. They just said, hey, pre-E3 event, here's a video that details the Wii, the Wii controller, the Wii U controller. As we move along, though, you know, Nintendo eventually began to um, evolve the Nintendo Direct presentation. They have the Nintendo Direct, which is usually a 30 to 50 minute presentation, but they also have Nintendo Direct minis as well that they've started to create. When Nintendo wants to release even just a little bit of information, you know, between 5 and 15 minutes, they, you know, decided, well, we need to come out with the Nintendo Direct Mini. Um, and they even have Nintendo Direct specials for specific games where the only focus is, is that one game. So now, you know, instead of having to feel like they're obligated to present, you know, everything at E3, now you have Nintendo saying, okay, you know what? When we're ready to have a main Nintendo Direct, we'll have one. But if we only have just a little bit of information for you, we're going to go and throw out a mini. And then if we just want to focus all of it on one game, we're going to have a Nintendo Direct special, which is what they did for, uh, you know, Pokemon. So that's, and that's started to evolve too over the years. Um, I know that you were going to talk about uh, 2013, which was another big year for Nintendo game-wise. Oh man, yeah. So let's get into that. Big games, big games. Uh, and up until this point, uh, we did, the Wii U was flopping, flopping hard. Uh, people didn't know if it was an upgrade, an extension. They didn't know. Wii U wasn't doing great. But they were able to pull some pretty big games out their ass. Super Smash Bros. for Wii U and 3DS. Beautiful trailer. This is where we got the Mega Man trailer. So, we knew this game was coming out. Mario Kart 8, which to this day is the highest install base for a Nintendo Wii U game. Uh, with something like 50, 55% install base, which is significant for, for Nintendo. Mario Kart games sell. Super Mario 3D World, uh, nice, nice Mario game. Uh, not the Galaxy that everybody wanted, but a really good game. Tropical Freeze for Donkey Kong Country. Uh, a Link Between Worlds for the 3DS, great game. The Wind Waker HD, uh, a great game, repackaged in an HD format. X. X was the biggest mindfuck of this E3. Everybody thought we were getting a Metroid game. Turns out we got X, which would evolve into Xenoblade Chronicles. Nintendo picked up Bayonetta, uh, The Wonderful 101, and Pikmin 3. Some great games that year. 2014, Nintendo decided to ramp things up. Very cool. Again, using the digital format throughout the year with their uh, Nintendo Directs to present us with games and then showing us like some really big ones at E3. But I think what's most notable about this E3 was Nintendo's commitment to Super Smash Bros. for Wii U by holding an invitational tournament where they picked the top, some of the top 16 players in the world to duke it out on stage. And, man, they did it big, man. They did it so big. It was a huge spectacle, and people loved it. Uh, and this is where Zero began his illustrious streak. 
winning the first ever Smash Wii U tournament. Well, and it's it's uh, the beginning of how Nintendo started to use E3 for other purposes other than, you know, going ahead and, and uh, putting out information about games or consoles. Now they're, you know, using it as a way to promote their tournaments. And in 2015, you have the return of the Nintendo World Championships. Um, First time in 25 is, years. We haven't had one for 25 years. Of- and that was a huge thing, too, because it's continuing Nintendo's support of the of competitive gaming. Not just that, but it was a good way just to make people feel good about Nintendo in an era where they're not. Like, it's almost... It's almost a red herring. With, with, the, with the failure of the Wii U, the commercial failure of the Wii U, people don't feel confident in Nintendo. And by them having these tournaments and, and these giant shows, it's almost like putting a Band-Aid over the owie. Right. And, and now that we've, we've gone all the way throughout the years from 95 to 2015, you can see that you know, the evolution of Nintendo's um, use for E3 and and what, you know, importance it holds for the company has changed. It's gone from being a platform to advertise all of their best games that are going to be coming out later that year and all of the the new information about um, upcoming consoles to something that is now more of a supplement to the Nintendo Direct, which is become the center for Nintendo's, um, you know, information and the way that they put everything out to the fans and the consumers. So you have Nintendo Direct kind of becoming the new um, number one important way that Nintendo holds their presentations. And E3 is now just something that, you know, we're going to, it's just going to be a supplement, which is why it's kind of interesting to see what will actually happen at this upcoming E3 for 2016, because it's like, where do they go from here next? I mean, what are your thoughts about that? This is weird, because ever since the Directs started, I am a huge proponent of the Directs. Uh, One of Iwata's best decisions was the Directs. Uh, That being said, it's kind of sad that one of Iwata's best decisions isn't actually video game related, but still... It makes me wonder, does Nintendo need E3 the way that Microsoft and Sony do? Like, I mean, it's, it's awesome when Nintendo comes to E3 because, man, Nintendo typically has the largest booth. I mean, they've had the largest booth for 20 years. Nobody outsizes Nintendo. They put so much money behind the spectacle of E3, and that's always something they've been very good at was was promoting the games at E3 with, like, special places where you can take pictures with a giant sculpture of Mario or giant Pikmin or, or being able to play Star Fox Zero in an R-Wing like they did last year. They have always, always made a huge spectacle about E3. And I don't think this year is actually going to be any different. They're saying that this year they're, they're bring, bringing us an immersive Legend of Zelda experience what that means to me is that there's going to be they're basically going to build hyrule where their booth will be 
I, I expect to see statues of Link. I expect to see statues of Zelda, Ganon, whoever else is in this game. I expect to see Nintendo blowing things out of proportion. The difference here from any other E3 is that we are not going to see anything but Zelda. The spectacle will still be there, but it just doesn't have the caveat of we see all these other amazing games that Nintendo has, or like Luster Games, because they haven't always gotten things right. But we always see something else. This is the first year where we're only seeing one game. And I think the, the reaction that the you know, people have had has been relatively negative because we don't we want the NX, but we don't want it at the expense of our Wii U, if that makes any sense at all. We want the new, but we don't want to sacrifice what we invested our time and our money and our effort into. When I buy a video game console, you know, I, I think of that as an investment for the next five to seven years. Uh, the Wii U did not deliver on that investment, unfortunately. It's, it is the best Nintendo console, in my opinion. There is nothing... Nintendo has never had a console as good as the Wii U. But it just wasn't a return in investment as far as the games, you know, and the third-party support. Uh, that being said, we're actually not even getting any information on the NX, which I also think has people very scared, but... Well, and that's because of the Nintendo Direct. Nintendo is most likely going to hold out for when they're ready to put that information out. Because if they're not ready to do it at E3, or maybe they, they want it to be exclusive to a Nintendo Direct, they're going to wait until they're ready. What I failed to mention earlier was that Nintendo also has control over which regions get um, that information. Because um, even though they, they had a... Uh, you know, Nintendo Direct for Pokemon Sun and Moon that was broadcast to all the regions, a lot of people don't realize that there are some Nintendo Directs that only come out in Japan. Uh, there are some that, that don't actually get released in North America because they're um, talking about games that really are, are only important to the uh, Japanese market. For example, they did a, a Direct for Monster Hunter 4G, that was only released in Japan. It was not released in any of the other regions. So now Nintendo can control which markets get which, you know, information or which, which markets get which presentations. So they have a greater control over the information that they put out to the consumers. 100% correct, man. Uh, it's, it's the directs fulfill E3's current role. Um, and I know it seems odd to say that Nintendo doesn't need to be at E3, but they don't really need to be at E3. I mean, we all have just taken Nintendo's presence at E3 for granted for, for 20 years. For 20 years, we could count on Nintendo to be there to unveil and, and to, to, you know, shock and surprise us. And that, you know, who's to say that this Legend of Zelda presentation that they do doesn't shock and awe us? It's... It's just not what we're used to. Now, Sony and Microsoft, I think they're in a different place is that, you know, they can have their own events, but I think for them, E3 is a lot more crucial. Uh, they need to be there. They need that, that fan experience. They, 
they never, you know, when Nintendo abandoned the stage show, they, you know, those two companies stayed the course. They stayed doing live stage presentations despite, you know, the thing, you know, all the things that could go wrong in a stage presentation, like you don't get the crowd reaction that you want or, you know, bugs that are visible to, you know, the crowd and to the people streaming at home. Nintendo not only gets to control the content, but they can, you know, they, they control what you see. So if there are glitches or bugs in the game, you're not going to see them like you would in a stage show presentation like what Microsoft and Sony do. They're going to show you the best part of whatever demo they have available via that direct. They're going to they're gonna show you the prettiest version. And Microsoft and Sony don't get the opportunity to do that because their content, because of the stage show, isn't controlled as tightly as what Nintendo's doing. That- yeah, that's a good point. Um, and just kind of to, you know, bring the whole thing full circle, you know, this year at E3, I'm still you know, excited to see what they have to offer, even if it's just about Zelda. But I do think that they are going to present us with some information about, you know, either other games or maybe a little information about the NX. I kind of, at least that's what I'm hoping. It might not happen, but I know they said that we're not going to get any uh, playable demos of anything but Zelda, but um, I do think you know, Nintendo usually has, they like to surprise their their fans. And I think that we're probably still going to get at least one surprise for this E3. That being said, I'm going to drop what I think their surprises. I think we're going to see a full-fledged Zelda line of Amiibo. Full-fledged Zelda line of Amiibo that are going to look fucking badass. They're probably going to do something insane. But I'm looking forward to seeing them unveiling some Amiibo. Uh, fingers crossed, I really would like them to drop the NX. Just like something. Just give us some kind of hope that there's some kind of NX news at E3. Um, you're right, though. Nintendo does like to pull things out of their pocket. I mean, think of how they unveiled us the DS. They pulled it out of a pocket. Think about how they unveiled the Wii. They pulled it out of a pocket. They like to pull shit out of their pockets, man. Nintendo always has a trick up their sleeve. I expect to see them drop one pretty big announcement at E3. If if only one, that's what I expect. I mean, they've, they've never shown us otherwise. Even years where the thing didn't turn out to be great, they did always show us one more thing. I agree. Guys. That is our pre-E3 speculation episode. Even though there's literally no speculation, it's our pre-E3 show. Uh, This was a good one for me. This one was a good one. Doing the research for this episode really brought me back, you know, down to memory lane. Got to walk down memory lane, and I got to remember how I felt seeing and hearing about these these amazing games and amazing consoles for the first time. Um. Nintendo's presence at E3 has been important. But Mario After Party said it very succinctly. The directs fulfill that role. And I think that's something that we all need to take note of. The directs fulfill that role wholeheartedly. I mean, we get... Sometimes we get more out of directs than we've ever gotten out of E3. 
from the true from the and it, it sorry it, it doesn't mean that Nintendo is just gonna forget about E3. It's just E3 is becoming more of a supplement now to like it's more of like a bonus than anything else. I 100% agree. Uh, any closing thoughts, brother? No, I think we we pretty much nailed it. Unless you got something to say. Always got one more thing to say, guys. You know that you can hit us up on Twitter at nice1983. You can hit us up by email at nice1983, and now the splatzones at gmail.com. Both of them gmails, easy to remember. You hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash nice1983 slash game collecting. You hit us up on our website, nice1983.wix.com slash game collecting. If you are a fan of the Splat Zones, if you are a fan of the Splat Zones, we got some great news. We are on iTunes for you to download. We are on Stitcher Radio for you to stream. And we are now on Google Play Music. For all you Android listeners, you don't have to go to an aggregate website to listen to us. You can hear us on your device native. That is something that I'm super excited to unveil here and now. We are on Google Play Music. We've been there for two weeks. I didn't I didn't let the cat out of the bag. I wanted to wait till we record another episode of the Spot Zones. We are on Google Play Music. Go ahead and download us there. And you can catch out, you can check us out on the new video stream that we brought to you last episode on YouTube.com. So we are everywhere for your listening satisfaction, guys. And if you like the music, don't forget to check out uh, Game Chops on YouTube and listen to all of the video game remix that he has up on his page. Absolutely. Guys, that's going to be it for this episode of The Splat Zones. Our after party, you got anything left to say? Man, you already know. Stay fresh. Stay fresh. Deuces. Deuces.